Hello and welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast. My name is Ben Granis and I am really glad you're here. We have a special episode for you today. I have someone who's not affiliated with Max's Tires. Back in January of 2023, this year, I spent a day with Nick Tokman. If you've ever seen Deadliest Catch, Nick Tokman is a former cast member, a crew member of the Time Bandit, I believe, and was on the show for a few seasons. He moved himself up to Alaska. He'll talk about it a little bit more in the episode, but he, once he got home, he hit the ground running working on public speaking. That w- That is his calling, and that is what he's been pursuing for the last seven or eight years. And boy, is he talented, successful, and just an awesome guy. He shared his day with me so I could see what it was like to be Nick Tokman for a day. He shared tips, tricks, how he goes about marketing himself, how he contacts people, what his strategies are. At this time in January, I was uh, very much committed to the idea of pursuing public speaking as the next step in the Eyes Up evolution. And so Nick was kind enough to lend his time to me. And part of that time we spent sitting down talking about his career, distracted driving, a similar format to that that you're used to with the Maxis series, just not a Maxis athlete. He has his own unique story and it was fascinating to hear more about. And I believe that you will feel the same way. If you're new to the podcast, Eyes Up started as a 7,000-mile bike ride around the United States to raise awareness for distracted driving and to promote digital wellness. I completed this ride by myself and ended, completed the ride in September of 2022. Immediately after, I started the series that you're used to, the Eyes Up Maxis series, interviewing 21 athletes and affiliates of Maxis Tires. And it also, along the way, sparked interest in interviewing other folks, part of the reason why this conversation with Nick Tokman came about. So on a cold, wintry day in north-central Connecticut, I spoke to Nick Tokman, and that is where this conversation's coming from. Enjoy. We'll talk to you at the end. My name is Nick. I am a youth speaker for high schools, uh, students, middle school, uh, focusing on building students' self-worth so they think about who they are, what they want to do with their life. Uh, I was a former cast member from the TV uh, show Deadliest Catch. I was known as Sunshine on the show for four years. Now it's a little brief introduction and uh, more importantly as I'm uh, uh, we're, uh, in the role of being a good, uh, trying to be as good of a boyfriend as I can be and uh, Go being a good as good of a stepdad as possible for, uh, for her son. So where are you from, Nick? West Springfield, Mass. And so what was what was growing up in Massachusetts like, and how what was your journey that led you to ending up in Alaska for a number of years? Sure. Uh, I mean, growing up. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I grew up in a place, I mean, maybe a lot of people can relate to is just you grew up in an area where everyone stays there and nobody really leaves. And 
I didn't really want to live like that. And I, I just wanted to kind of get out and do something with my life. I guess got, I, I got on the show up, uh, or I got, I got up to Alaska to go fishing and then eventually on the show. But, uh, I, I just, I was down and out in college and I just didn't feel I was on my path. I just saw it on TV, looked like fun, wanted to try it and bought a plane ticket to do it. And, and then I started doing it. The goal for me was not to get on the show, just to be a successful crab fisherman. But getting on the boat that got you up to Alaska was kind of like icing on the cake. And yeah. So yeah, we were talking about this on a walk a little bit. You you had quite. I mean, it, it was a it was a journey very much once you got to Alaska to get onto the show. What was the? I mean, can you just w walk me through briefly what that was like and how you ended up on a TV show? for fishing? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, first off, I mean, I, you know, bought a plane to get up to Alaska. Um, I tried, I called hundreds of boat owners, not one person wanted to hire me. And I, a few people gave me some advice, gave me, you know, a couple places to go. They recommended that I camp out and everything. And, uh, there was two places I could have gone is Kodiak and Bristol Bay. That's where they recommended. I chose Kodiak, Alaska, cause I had a more of a variety of different, all different kinds of fishing. Bristol Bay is more for gill netting. Uh, went up there. Uh, I stayed out in a tent. I was staying at random people's houses. Tried to find any job that I can get my hands on. I worked on a bunch of boats with some several questionable characters. You know, mouthed off a few times, got fired, you know, had to learn some lessons the hard way. And then I got, eventually I had a, you know, a couple big breaks and, you know, I had some failures and everything. And uh, finally, you know, succeeded, got on a, a really good crab fishing boat. And, uh, I guess how I got on the show is, uh, I met one of the, the captains, uh, Sig Hansen at the bar. Uh, he was talking to my crew members. I was staring at him and he, he looks over at me and goes, you've been looking at me the entire night. Why I go, I wanted to make sure you were who you were. He said, that's smart. You want to arm wrestle? I arm wrestled him. I lost. And then uh, and, and then a couple days later, he sees me, starts picking on me. I have the waitress sent him over a glass of milk. I said, here's to your osteoporosis. <laughs> and then he comes over, shakes my hand, and my name's Sig. And then he offered me a job. Originally, I turned it down because I didn't walk away from Bill who gave me the time of day when no one else did. Um, the only reason I got on the show is because I made a mistake where I thought my career was over. I put water in the fuel tank causing me to lose my job. And then um, I asked uh, Sig for a job and I told him what I did. I owned up to my mistake and that's how, long story short, I got on the show and everything. And so what what was that like? Was it as hardy of an experience as the show makes it look? Or was it, you know, what was it like? Like, was it like a sort of like a cushier version of what crab fishing is or is it pretty raw like it's portrayed on the show i i, I feel this show does a, a good job portraying you know what it is what it actually is i mean you're working long 20 hour days sometimes working longer shifts i i mean i remember there were times we were working 30 hours sleeping three four work 30 hours sleep three four there was times where we were up for two days straight i mean it's freezing you know freezing conditions i mean there's you're, you're throwing the hook and you're getting a huge wave slapping you in the face sometimes. Uh, you're working with 800-pound metal crab pots, which is hard and half, you know, uh, it's, it, 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 it's a grind. What was the, if you could distill your experience up there, because how, how many years were you up in Alaska for fishing? 
eight and eight, eight, eight and a half. Okay, so that's a long time to be fishing. What was the most challenging thing, whether that's one event or a recurring part of the job? Yeah, I guess we'll start with that. What was the what was the hardest thing for being up there and fishing? On the job or the journey? The job, like when you're. When I th- I think the hardest thing is the lack of sleep. That's really yeah. I mean, you eventually you get used to it, but I mean, there are times when you're just. You're dazed, you're out of it, and you got to keep going. I mean, you're practically like a robot, not even thinking, and you're just delayed. Uh, that, that's the hard part. And so, so what kept you going? Like, because that's, I mean, that's a long time to not be, to be, to be sleep deprived. Uh, take quick power naps when you can. Talk to your crew. <laughs> that's all. Uh, but, I mean, a, a slap in the face with a wave, I mean, that, that can wake you up. And keep you up for a little bit too so what was it like working with other the other crew members like were they you know, i mean were they also from you know from far and wide across the united states or what what was what was that sure. like sure most of the i grew, got along with most of the crew um they're they're from a lot of them are from washington alaska they're you know born into it or that's what they've done there are some like me that are from different areas, but rarely you meet that. You see that. Yeah. I got along with most of the crew. The only times where like maybe I might have had an issue is that there was one spot available and you had to compete for the spot. So you had guys trying to throw you under the bus, and you you know if you say something, you look bad. So you just got to keep staying in your lane and doing your job and hoping that you know, how you are, how you are as a worker is, is seen, you know, from everything else that everybody talks about you. Uh, the only other time I think I had a hard time with the crew is, uh, one, one captain I worked with, or, uh, my buddy Jake, uh, he got his boat by another guy, uh, who lost, uh, who lost, uh, his boat because he was apparently, you know, using drugs on the boat. Um, nice guy, you know, two and everything. He just, you know, he went through the rehab and everything. And I talked to him before, but lost his boat to drugs. And we went on the boat uh, together and his crew was still on the boat. So they felt like we were coming in and taking over. So no matter what we could do, we felt we couldn't, like there was no, like there was nothing we could do. Like we were already a threat. And, uh, uh, that I think that was the only time where it was hard. I mean, there were times where maybe some guys might want to fight you or something like that. Uh, I never, I tried to de-escalate it. I didn't, and, and that was a time when we were on camera. So I just wanted to make sure it's like, you know, I'm I'm looking at it from my angle and saying, you know, if a, ki- if a kid sees this, how, you know, I, I, I feel like a kid's going to look up, look up to you. You want to set a good example. So I just tried to avoid it like a, a situation like that as much as I could and uh, you know and I, I was able to but uh, that was the only time where it was like it was kind of the only times where it was like stressful or something How, so it's been about what six years since you've returned from that experience what uh, what how, how have your relationships with the, your crew sort of developed or uh, do they are you still close with any of them my former some of my former captains, there's one guy, Bill Prout, uh, before the show, uh, 
Brian, Steve, they were my mentors. I still keep in touch with them. Antonio, I still keep in touch with some of my crew every now and then we talk. I mean, you know, life gets so busy that you kind of you kind of lose track a little bit. But if I gave him a call, it'd be okay. For the ones that are on the show, Sig's a pretty busy guy. Like I'll send him a text or something every now and then. He'll reply. Um, Hillstrand Brothers, uh, sometimes I'll reach out to them and say hi. John, I, I, I think I've probably talked to him, I don't know, probably couple years ago or something. Uh, Jake, I'd say from the show, I talked to him more. I, I think I probably, by the last time I talked to him was like a year ago or something like that. Um, but I think we're just so busy with our lives that, you know, we, we just go on and, you know, maybe catch up every, every, every now and then. But my other former captains that were mentors, I still keep in touch with them because they really helped me out a lot in my life. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, what a cool experience and cool relationships to have. Uh, very unique. Um, and also unique is your how you transitioned from that experience to what you're doing now. What, how, how did that happen, going from fishing in Alaska to youth motivational speaking? Like, when did that idea come about sure. and how did you make it happen? I, I was on break from the show and I wanted to just, I just thought I wanted to give back. I spoke at my old high school. I thought I was originally doing it to prevent students from ending up like some of my friends that grew up in high school in a rundown apartment complex. And I, I, I loved it. I, I just did it one time. I was like, oh, I, I really enjoyed this. So I, I just kept doing it more and more and more. And I, I thought I could really make a career out of it. There was no way that I could have done the show in both, so I had to leave. You know, I had to leave the show to do it. But I think why I I found out later on why was I went up to Alaska as a way to challenge myself to see what I was capable of. So really, why I'm doing what I do is because growing up, I questioned my self worth. You know, always ask myself, you know, am I good enough? Um, which is I feel is a lot of kids today. I mean, at any age, you know, they question that. So if I can redirect their attention from the outside influences from their family and uh, students or peers or teachers and bring it back on themselves so they can figure out who they are and what they want to do that I've done my job I just want to make sure that they were on their path so in essence I'm just talking to myself when I'm up on stage yeah so that's it sounds like that's the root of your what you talk about now is your own experience and it, I mean I assume that your time in Alaska and on the show feeds into that as well like did you feel like that experience and really pushing yourself helped you understand your self-worth and feel more confident in yourself it helped me get my self-worth back because i mean growing up my father wasn't around as much as i wanted to be so like i i always felt you know i i always felt like something was lacking inside me so if i did the world's most dangerous job that was my way to get my own approval for myself so what from your upbringing keeps you, I mean, obviously your experience in wanting to help other people avoid what you went through and that sort of experience keeps you going. But what from your own life experiences so far helps you with the speaking itself? From, you would say from, say, the, like working up in Alaska and everything. Yeah, and before too, but it, it, yeah, I guess if there's like, are there a few things that like, that you pull from to help you be an effective speaker? 
Oh, uh, good question. I, I mean, I think if this if this answers it, but I think it's just because I've I've lived it and I, uh, I know like each part of the way of this of the story kind of. Uh, it it changed it you know it changed me over time like there were lessons that I learned along the way that I give out to the to the students like example uh, it's important to have you know quality people in your life that mm -hmm. are there is supportive because if it wasn't for them I would not have con I would not have pushed through in some of my tough times um, you know like when I put water in the fuel tank I mean. Everybody told me not to tell Sig why I put, you know, it, what I did to get fired. I told them, and that was the reason I got the job. So just owning up to your mistakes, telling the truth. Um, I mean, I think just all those things just helped me. It's just, I guess, is you, as a speaker, you have to, you have to, I guess, you, you are the message, if, if that's, if I can make that analogy. Like, you have to. And I think that's what makes you an effective speaker. It's like how, like you're giving them a message, but how close do you live that message? And I think that's the most important part of a, of a speaker. Um, so talk to me, you mentioned the people that supported you and helped you get to where you are. Can you talk to me about like what, what qualities those people had and like why they supported you? Or maybe not why they supported you, but you know, how they impacted you. Sure. So I went to do, uh, it, was, it was called pot cod. It's like close to crab fishing, but it's just, instead of, you're using the same gear, these 800 pound crab pots, but instead you're catching, you know, gray cod with them. And that was the first, like if I could do that job, then there's a good chance that I can go crab fishing. And I failed at that. And I was, I just felt completely broken down. I felt worthless. I, you know, I, 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 that was the first time in my life where I just gave something my complete all and I failed and I just felt less than of a person because I failed and Steve Russell and this other guy Antonio um, Steve was the captain Antonio was the other crew member they built my confidence that I could do the job uh, and Brian Cheladinas he was a captain that he just he he gave me the full share mentality that when you're on a boat you're not just you know, an employee, you're a part owner, you do whatever you can to make working together easier. So I'm not just thinking about just my job and my task, but like, what can I do to make everyone's job easier? Um, yeah, those are some of the lessons that I, I got, you know, from them that helped me out. Talk to me about, this is a bit of a pivot, but talk to me about how social media plays a role in your life as a former TV celebrity and now a speaker who your message and you're advertising yourself on you know the website and on social media so how does it play a role in your life now tell you straight i i i i don't like social media really uh i i i just use it primarily for the business and just to get my message out to help you know to help others but like from a personal standpoint I wouldn't, I, I try to stay away from that because if I want to talk to someone, I'm just going to call them on the phone or something like that. Uh, the worst thing that I, I, I get from, uh, from social media, I, I know this is going to sound, I don't know how this is going to sound, but 
I hate it when it's my birthday on social media because you have to respond to every single person that wish you happy birthday and I just would rather enjoy the, the, the day. And most people don't even know it's your birthday. The ones that really care will call you up on the phone. Um, I just use it as a way to promote my business and to promote my message and then I just re put it strictly at that. Otherwise, I'm off of it. So you don't, it's not something that you consume regularly? No. Do you ever feel inclined to, or like when you go on it to post something, do you feel like the pull to start scrolling or get interested? Or Sometimes, but it depends. I, I mean, the only things that I, like, maybe I might get sucked into it. Like, I mean, the phone is, it's, it's literally like a drug. Uh, sometimes I, I, I get sucked into like the motivational parts mm -hmm. and I guess that's an okay thing, but just not for too long. And it can, I can see how it can really grab someone for a while. Um, that's the only time where it can like suck you in or yeah yeah so what's what's what are your thoughts on the amount of time that people particularly young people i mean we were talking about your girlfriend's son and how much time he spends on the phone yeah like what how do you feel about young people and people generally and the amount of time spent on f phones and social media in particular i think it's i, I think they're they're wasting a huge part of their life away from just being on it. I, I mean, it's good to, I mean, Facebook is a good in a way to connect with, you know, for me, it's a good way to connect with people when I'm in a certain area or something. Oh, I haven't seen this person, you know, reach out for lunch. But aside from that, that's it. I just think it's pointless to, you know, look at a cat video or something like that. I would rather have that time, you know, spending time with my girlfriend, her son, my mom, you know, you know, having dinner or something like that. I mean, you're wasting that much and, and you're not enjoying life. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I just think your phone can just suck you in. Like, like I have, I actually have a quote on my, um, on my, uh, a post-it note on, on my, uh, on one of my screens. It's like for every minute, you know, I, I browse the internet. That's another minute I will never get back. Um, but I, I try to stay away from it as much as I can. Well, speaking of minutes that you won't get back, the average American, based on a study done a couple of years ago, will spend five years on social media throughout their life. That's a lot of minutes that won't get you won't get back. That's one twentieth of your life. Yeah, yeah. And it's really not that much time each day, but it really it adds up. Yeah, so, and I think that's sort of a theme of my experience with you today is just chipping away at whether that's reaching out to people for speaking engagements or whatever. But if you do a little thing over and over and over again, it really adds up. And in the social media case, it's a negative, but that I think is true for a lot of good things like going on a walk a few times a day. Yeah. That adds up to a lot of good because you're rejuvenating yourself and keeping the energy high, but it's, it goes both ways. I mean, I think there's, I think the brow, like, like the scrolling, just browsing, I think it's more about being intentional with your time. And it's a, like, I look at social media or, or the internet as why am I going on? Why am I, why am I going online? What's the purpose? Like if I have to, you know, send out emails, that's why I'm doing it. Um, but just for mindless scroll, like I would rather, you know, read a, read a book that helps me learn about my life or my, my, you know, my life plan or help me to, you know, help for communication skills. If you're, 
I think you I mean, there's so much information that you can just get lost, but it's like, if you put your intention of why you're doing, like why you're on there, I think that can be effective. I mean, I remember during COVID, I had to learn that building a, you know, a virtual studio and all that. So I went on you, I looked at YouTube videos to help me with that. But for mindless scrolling, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'd rather take that time and spend it with family or friends. For sure. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, one thing that's kind of confusing to me, or not confusing, but it's, it's a hard nut to crack is the pressure with young people, I think particularly in the high school and middle school environments, the, the way that the social structure is, there's a lot of pressure to do the thing that everyone's doing, whether that's being present on TikTok or having a strong Instagram presence, something like that. It's hard to escape from because if you're, even if you know that it's not good for you, to be the one person or part of the small population who's not participating in that, it's very isolating. So, you know, I think a lot of these kids are very smart and are aware of what's going on, but it's, it's like almost inescapable. I think the only, like the way to, like escape something like that is having a strong sense of your own self-worth and just listening to yourself instead of like trying to be good enough for this person or that person or trying to do this to be cool. I think it really goes back to, you know, tune. I always say in my presentations, like tune out from the outside voices, tune into yourself and just to focus on you and you, you know, your self-worth is not dependent on you know, your friendship is, is not dependent on, uh, you know, the TikTok videos you see or the comments you, you, you make or something like that. It, that's not where it is. And anyone that judges you on, on you know, for what you do, uh, you know, social media, if, like if you're not on, like they're not worth your time, uh, you know, and, that, and that's what I, I think if uh, I think a strong sense of self and just realizing that those people that are judging you for, you know, how you act as they're just, they're not worth your, your, your time. It's just the people that really, truly care about you, you know, will be there, you know, regardless if you, know, you watch this video or whatnot, or you know, it's just a part of fitting in, I guess. But right. Cool. What are, what are some strategies that you use to keep yourself in that camp? I mean, I, I think you're a very disciplined person. So I think you, you obviously it's, you've, you've developed a strong, uh, sort of bubble to protect yourself from yeah. those temptations, but I think really having morning and evening rituals is is good. So I already know what I'm going to be doing for the day. I, I have an ideal schedule of what I need to do. Um, and I know that I budget my time like it's money and it's actually worth more than that. So in the morning, first thing I'll do, got to get my mindset, I'll meditate. Then I'll write down what I'm grateful for. After that, I'll go for a run, I'll exercise. After that, you know, I'll write my book, you know, uh, you know, eat, shower and everything. I learn stuff on the business. I'll make my cold, you know, my emails, my outreach, all that work on my speech, work, uh, you know, working on, on my singing. Um, and then whatever's left, whatever time I have left over, I spend it with my family. Um, if I just look at, if I just look at a li- like a little bit of, uh, you know, social media or something that really eats into my day. Like I don't have time for X, Y, Z. So budgeting your time, um, few resources that I, I thought were really great. There was this one book indistractable by near IL. Uh, another one, uh, what was it? What was it called? 
Deep Work by Cal Newport, uh, and then uh, Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson. Uh, th that actually surprisingly helped I, because uh, your phone at night, the more, I think for every, I, I may be butchering this, but for every like 30 minutes you spend on your phone, it, it suppresses a large amount of melatonin to prevent you from falling asleep. Um, because it tricks your mind into thinking you're awake. So it's just, you know, being off that to help you sleep to be ready for the next day. Because if you are, I've noticed it in the past, like I had to work at it really hard. Also, uh, you know, there was a time where that was like a, it was almost, it felt like it was a drug or something. So I had to record my time and I, and I actually had a, a goal to have no internet for 90 days, except for the work that I'm doing. And I would log in that time. Um, and then, and then I would see old oh, less and less, and I just tried to create a streak of a check mark and a check mark of no days in browsing the internet. My YouTube was my biggest, like worst enemy. Uh, uh, yeah, I had to get away from that. It's the same for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, they've got it perfectly figured out on how to get you to keep watching yeah. videos after the other, one after the other. Um, so do you like cut yourself off? I'm curious about the sleep thing. Do you cut yourself off from your phone at a certain time or like a certain number of hours before you go to sleep? Hour and a half. That, like that's what they, rec you know, what uh, I guess the books that I read. Whoever it was, yeah. yeah. Uh, just an hour and a half before bed, just no phone. Uh, you know, I, I had an evening ritual of writing my goals down for the day, like finishing up what, what you know, how did they go, what went well, what didn't. Um, then I just brush my teeth, shower up, you know, read a book for 30 minutes, play with my cat. Uh, after that, I would stretch. I would call someone. I wouldn't be looking at the phone, you know, for while I was stretching. I would after that, I would take uh, a hot bath with you know Epsom salt, baking soda, lavender oil. Following that, a cold compress shower. I was out cold. Um, that that's kind of how I did for for preventing the phone from. Yeah, I just had that evening ritual. So just, yeah, and yeah. if you make it something that you enjoy, eventually you come to actually crave that probably more than the phone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, for me, I love learning. I mean, instead of brow, brow, like just scrolling without any aim, I'm learning something or you know, reading a book that's enjoyable. I mean, uh, right now I'm reading uh, the five love languages to help me in my relationship or something, but it's just, it's it's something that's useful that, that, that I'd rather. Right, something that'll move your yeah. life forward yeah. and not artificially prop up someone else's life yeah. by consuming whatever they're posting. How is so it one thing that I've wondered is how, like, do you can like about people who are very aware of their phone use do you consume news regularly or is that because I go back and forth on it because part of me thinks it's important to you know have some sense of what's going on sure. in the world because I think there is benefit to that and I also see the other side where it can easily it turns into another social media sort of I mean I, I actually don't really watch the news. I, I mean, there's so many people, you know, that I'm friends with or my family, they'll tell me what's going on if it's something really important. People will be talking about it. That's how I get my news. I mean, if it's something, occasionally I'll look on. I mean, you, you do a Google search and all of a sudden all the news, you know, pops up and everything and what's going on. But aside from that, I don't really, yeah. I'm, I'm so, like everything that's going on in the world, I mean, 
I don't really have much control over. So I can only control, you know, what, you know, what I'm supposed to do. So I rather focus on what, you know, you know, the what's actually I, affecting yeah. you yeah. and what you can affect. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, what do you like to do for fun? Like, what are your outlets? Cause I mean, it's good to have structure, but you know, it's also good to have sure. play or, you know, I mean, you spend time with your family, so that's, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I, I mean, the one thing is that I do what I love. So, I mean, I get to work on my speeches. Um, I like to sing, I write, play board games, uh, with the family. I, I know there's, uh, just having dinner. That's a great thing. Hanging out with, you know, other family, friends, going for a hike, I don't know, going to a trampoline park every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else do I like to do? I, I love to run. That's the first thing that I, one of the first things that I do every morning. That's that's just non I need that. What else do I do? Um, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I do, yeah. Um, talk to me about your experience with distracted driving because you've been all over this country for your work and I assume a lot of it, if not all of it, involves some travel in a car. Sure. Uh, well, I have to say, I if I I would be uh, I I would be uh, it would be stupid of me to say like have I texted and drove before I have and I it was so funny because uh, I ran into uh, so, someone that we we both we both knew um, uh, and uh, he was a guy he had a program. Uh, called uh, Survive the Drive, and uh, his name is Bob Green, and he was telling me about like how harmful it was and everything. And so now, my thing—I don't know if this is bad—but whenever I'm in a long road trip, uh, I have an audio book, and that's what—that's that, how I. Why would know, that be a bad thing? No, that's okay. Or yeah, <laughs> but I mean, before, like, yeah, that's what I do. Or um, I, I don't know, like that—that's that's how I go on on the road. Uh, I was told that, uh, you know, calling someone on the phone with, with a headset, that's still not, uh, that, yeah. Uh, so there, I mean, my thoughts on it is there's this spectrum of things that distract you in the car, ranging from something simple like turning up the air conditioning all the way up to like reading a map over the steering wheel, which I saw a woman doing a few weeks ago. Okay. Like phone in one hand, map covering the steering okay. wheel on the highway. Stressful to see that when you're yeah. next to them, you know? Um, and there's a lot, I think there's a, a gray area. And I think, of course, being on the phone is distracting because your mind is not on the road. But if you're not on the phone and you're just sitting there, your mind is probably wandering in some way anyway. So it's hard to measure it. I, I mean, I think the, if you were to create a best practice you'd be totally focused on driving and not doing anything else but driving. Sure. I think that's unrealistic for the general population yeah. to just ask for that. So I, my approach is to eliminate for sure the worst offenders and just get people to have the awareness of what they're doing in the car so that even if you're in a conversation, you're aware of you're driving and how engaged you are in it. And if it's, you know, if it starts to rain or something, you're going to hang up that phone call yeah, because it's okay, no longer, yeah. because you're not as an effective, as effective as a driver as you were or could need to be. Yeah. That, 
if uh, for me, I mean, now I just like if I'm on a long drive, I'll talk to someone on the phone or I'll you know read an audio book. One thing that I you know it was a wake up call when Bob Green talked about you know the texting and driving. Or, oh, you send a quick text or whatnot, and I just like okay, I'll make it you know I like I won't do that. And I was telling my former roommate about it, and you know, and he's like, oh yeah, I'm a good driver. And one week later, he got into a car accident, and he like he he was about he missed his exit and and practically totaled his car because he was looking at his phone or texting or something like that. One week later, after we we talked about Jeez. it, yeah. Did you talk to him at all afterwards about it? Like, uh, yeah, he, he said, "Well, you were right. I should have listened and stuff like that." But I think it's a good. I think it's a really, it was a really good wake up call and a reminder. It's like, you know, I have been guilty of that, you know, before, but it's like you, you, it's, it's a wake up call to, to, you know, to not do, I mean, cause he almost, he almost died right there, but you could have also been hurt. You could have hurt someone else. So that, yeah. that's something that, you know, you definitely, you know, that's something you definitely don't want to do or you don't want to see happen. Right. Yeah. And I, I found that a, a lot of times people jump to, I mean, their pride is on the line when you bring up distracted driving. So they talk about how good of a driver they are yeah. and that, you know, it's okay. I can, I can text and drive, yeah. but it's really, it's not a matter of being a good driver. It's you're a lucky driver because you've gotten away with it. However many times you've done it, Sure. but it, it just takes one situation where the, where things are lined up in a way like, you know, they miss the exit and they catch it at the last minute and you know, then yeah. they cause a crash. Yeah. So I'm glad your friend is all right, though. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, like, what, what would you say to young people who, um, you know, are just learning to drive and are, you know, more likely to, to be guilty of driving distracted and put your phone down, just focus on the road. Uh, that, that, I mean, just work, work on getting your skills, being comfortable with the, you know, with everything. Uh, if you want to re listen to an audio book, go ahead or something like that. Music, that's fine. But other than that, put you know, put the phone down because I mean, not only is it your life that's at risk, it's it's someone else's. Um, I just have a couple more questions, Nick. What's what are you what are you most proud of in your life? I would say the first thing that comes to mind is a few times um, some students reached out to me uh, saying that I, I prevented a suicide. So that was like I saved their life. So that was a big thing or I was at least a part of helping them, you know, not commit suicide. That was probably. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, your work is super important and you're making a huge difference on, on so many people's lives. And the fact that you also love what you do is fantastic. And I, I know and hope that it continues to, uh, inspire people to, to do what they actually love to do. Um, what are you looking forward to this upcoming year? What's getting you excited? Cause it's this, I mean, we're almost done with January. Yeah. Uh, well, me and my my girlfriend are going to be working together, and I'm just excited to see what we're going to do and like, you know, traveling all over and uh, just fulfilling our goals and dreams and just doing it together. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, what a cool partnership that's going to be. 
Yeah. Ah, good for you. Well, thanks, Nick. I'm excited for you, and I appreciate your time and sharing some of your story today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All righty. Thank you so much for listening. That's Nick Tokeman, everybody. Check out nicktokeman.com to learn more about what he does. Thank you so much for listening. Head to eyesupride.com slash resources to learn how you can make a difference on distracted driving by turning on driving focus. Just want to give a big thanks to Nick for sharing his time on that day in January. It was super helpful for me to get a peek inside what the day-to-day is like for the public speaking world. I'm not sure if I'm going to pursue it. I'm not sure if uh, if it's for me, if that's exactly what I am looking for at this point in time. However, it was great to meet someone who's incredibly driven to do a great job at their job and to do it well. This is a special edition of the Eyes Up Life podcast. We'll be back to regularly scheduled programming with the Eyes Up Maxis series next week so stay tuned and we'll look forward to seeing you then talk to you soon bye bye